I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts. We're talking about uh, Peter. We're in Acts 11 this morning, and we're going to begin at the 19th verse. In Acts 11, beginning at verse 19, Luke writes this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. We'll continue for the next couple of verses. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up. And through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. How many of you have ever heard of Edward Kimball? Edward was a Sunday school teacher at the Mount Vernon Congregational Church in Boston, Massachusetts. He taught a boys' Sunday school class, and the boys in his class were rather rowdy. But he was committed to leading each one of them to Jesus Christ. One man was a particular challenge and that was Edward. So Edward went to the shoe store where this young man worked after school and individually and purposefully shared the gospel with this young man, and he accepted Jesus Christ, and his name was Dwight, Dwight L. Moody. After moving to Chicago, Moody started preaching the gospel from town to town around the area and was instrumental in William Chapman giving his life to Jesus Christ. Wilbur Chapman became an evangelist. And one day there was a professional baseball player who had the day off and came to one of Wilbur Chapman's tent revival meetings. He gave his life to Jesus. He quit playing baseball. And he joined Chapman's staff, and his name was Billy Sunday. Chapman eventually became the pastor of a very large church. 
And so Billy Sunday took up Chapman's mantle and started leading revivals on his own. And God used Billy Sunday to lead a man named Mordecai Ham to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't long before Mordecai Ham was also holding tent meetings on his own. And one meet, one evening in a town called Charlotte, North Carolina, Mordecai Ham was leading a revival meeting and there was a young man in the audience by the name of Billy Graham. Some of you may have heard of him. And Billy gave his life to Jesus Christ that night. And God has used Billy Graham revivals and Billy Graham ministry to bring millions and millions of people to Jesus Christ. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. I'm guessing that Edward Kimball never realized the role he played in God's kingdom until he got to heaven. But Kimball is a reminder that one single faithful follower of Jesus Christ can play a significant role in turning this world back right side up. Have you heard of Joseph Barnabas? Joseph Barnabas also helped turn this world right side up. Luke talks about him on a number of occasions in the book of Acts. He was, if you will, a soulmate of Edward Kimball. They both had a servant's heart. They were both encouragers. They were both wall breakers and bridge builders. They were both models for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we first meet Joseph Barnabas in the fourth chapter of Acts. There in the 36th verse, Luke introduces him to us by saying he was a Levite. He was a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him and then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Joseph Barnabas. Joseph Barnabas comes from good stock. He was a Levite. He was a temple worker. He was born in Cyprus, likely exiled, his family exiled by Herod so they could work in the copper mines. So he was a Hellenist. That is, he was a Greek-speaking Jew. Hebrew-speaking Jews looked down on the Greek-speaking Jews. So in coming home or coming back, if you will, to Jerusalem, he no, he no doubt experienced their hostility and their friction because they were wall builders and bridge breakers. Barnabas is Joseph's nickname, a name given him, Luke says, by the apostles. Barnabas, as we've said, means son of encouragement, Nicknames are earned, so we can assume here that Joseph sort of fits the part of what it means to be a Barnabas. And we know by reading the story that Barnabas is deeply committed to Jesus Christ and deeply committed to the church. Luke notes his graciousness. Luke notes his generosity. 
we meet Barnabas a second time in the ninth chapter of Acts, in the 26th verse, shortly after Saul is converted. You see, Saul eventually gets into Jerusalem, into the into the growing headquarters of the new church, and Scripture says he tries to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a follower, really a disciple of Jesus. Saul was the guy who had been encouraging people to pick up stones and, and throw them at Stephen. Saul was the guy who had received papers and was out there arresting and incarcerating any believer or follower of Jesus he could find. Luke tells us that Barnabas came to Saul's aid. Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the disciples. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, truth is, the disciples in Jerusalem didn't really trust that testimony, but they did trust Barnabas. And so they welcomed Saul based on Barnabas' word. And then in our text this morning, Barnabas shows up in Acts 11, right after the Cornelius' story and the Gentile controversy. You see, church membership in Syria, Antioch, which, by the way, is the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire at this time, right after Rome and right after Alexandria, was literally exploding. This for formidable cosmopolitan city had become synonymous with immorality. It was known for its chariot racing. It was a center for gambling, for debauchery, and for pleasure-seeking. So here is a, a test for the early church for their willingness to change their paradigm, to interact and impact the culture, to embrace Gentiles as well as Jews, to engage the whole world, good parts and not so good parts. And then here is Barnabas, a Greek-speaking Jew from a Gentile country with the gift of building bridges and breaking walls. When Barnabas arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God, Luke writes, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Luke goes on to say he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he acknowledges Barnabas does great work because a great number of people were brought to the Lord through Barnabas. So Barnabas goes to find Saul, who had been holed up in Tarsus for as many as up to 10 years. And he brings him back to serve alongside of him in Antioch. And he mentors him together for at least a, a year. And they interact with a great number of people. And after, after a year, their mission completed, they return to Jerusalem with a young man named John Mark. Barnabas and Paul are probably best known for their missionary journey. In Acts 13, we note Paul's first missionary journey. 
But if you note in that text, Barnabas's name is listed first because Barnabas on the first missionary journey is the leader. As Paul matures in the faith, his role begins to change and he becomes the leader and Barnabas steps off to the side. But initially, Barnabas goes first. In this particular case in Acts 13, the church prays and fasts. They commission Paul and Barnabas and they send them off together. And you know where they go? They go to Cyprus, first stop, to Barnabas's hometown because Barnabas wants his family, he wants his friends, he wants his neighbors to know about Jesus first. In Acts 13, in the 13th verse, John Mark, who had accompanied them, decides he's going to leave Barnabas and Paul. In the 36th verse of the 15th chapter, Mark, John Mark decides he wants to come back. And Barnabas says to Paul, let's give him another chance. And Paul says, no way. It's not happening. He abandoned us once before, you remember. No second chances. And I can imagine Barnabas saying, Paul, that's not right. You got a second chance. And look what God did through you. John Mark deserves a second chance as well. And perhaps even a third chance or a fourth chance or a fifth chance. Didn't Jesus say something about seven times 70? But Paul didn't hear Jesus say that. And Paul on this occasion isn't buying it. So Luke tells us they have a disagreement, they have an argument, they have a conflict, and they decide to part ways. It's the first church schism. It's not Paul's finest moment. Paul is still growing and maturing. But God, as God, has a wonderful habit of doing. God makes something wonderful out of it. And so Paul decides he's not going to go with Barnabas on his second missionary journey, so he goes with Silas. And Barnabas says, I still need to go on a missionary journey, so he takes with himself John Mark. And so what was one missionary team becomes two missionary teams. But understand, this is Barnabas. This is who he is. This is what Barnabas does. It is deeply written in his DNA. He can discern the Lord's leading. He can articulate God's purposes. He understands God's ways. He makes those around him better. He enables the community to thrive. He is a wall breaker and he is a bridge builder. Barnabas is a son of encouragement. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus, only Luke is with me, Paul writes. Go get John Mark. Bring him here with you because he has been useful to me in my ministry. Hmm. Interesting. Even Paul comes around to understand what Barnabas was doing and what Barnabas was teaching and what Barnabas was modeling. That is, what is the essence of the church? Grace-based, forgiving, 
embracing community. So Edward Kimball and Joseph Barnabas are what I would like to call balcony people. A balcony person is someone who cheers you on as you run the race, who picks you up when you stumble and brushes you off, who accepts you for who you are and is always willing to give you another chance, whether that's your second or third or fifth or 400th. A balcony person doesn't need to be on the ground floor. He doesn't need to have his or her own way to be the center of attention or to get the credit. They won't kick you when you're down. In fact, they'll defend you when you're being accused. They will stay when everybody else is walking away. They will lift you up. They will walk the extra mile for you, whether you accompany them or not. They are people who say, who when they say they will pray for you, actually pray for you. Everyone needs a few balcony people in their life. The road of life is hard. And the truth is, we can't do it alone. We need people to come alongside of us. Balcony people. People who are assisting us to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Truth is, the world in which you and I live is full of basement people. And sadly, basement people are found in the church as well. Basement people just drag us down. They only see the problems with people instead of their potential. They look for stuff to criticize and And then they acknowledge the people, some people have the spiritual gift of constantly complaining. They require their own way. They tend to use people for their own agenda and purpose. They keep lists, never forgetting, never, never forgiving. They lack grace. And while balcony people infuse us with energy, basement people sap our energy. You and I know basement people. We all encounter them on occasion. So noting balcony people and noting basement people, I have a couple of questions that you can think about for a moment and think about later on. Are you more of a basement person or more of a balcony person? Who are the balcony people in your life? Who have they been? Who are they? And then to whom are you a balcony person? Who's encouraging you? To whom have you been encouraging? The truth is we need daily doses of balcony talk on our journey through life. We all need a Barnabas or two. We need to identify them. We need to grow closer to them. We need to spend more time with them. We need to pray for them. We need to take care of them and thank them regularly. Be a balcony person. Truth is, basement people are not Christ-like at all. 
As much as we need balcony people in our lives, we also need to be balcony people, people of encouragement in other people's lives. And even though this worship center doesn't have a balcony, you and I need to step into what it means to support and encourage one another, especially as we live out our spiritual lives in community. The truth is, our culture doesn't have much interest in balcony people. Emails, instant messaging, Twitter, hashtags, the list goes on. Continue to allow people to take their shots at other people with relative anonymity. We are an increasing, we are increasingly a basement culture and we're sinking fast. Our world desperately needs some good news. We need a word of grace and encouragement. We need balcony people for one another and for our world. So what exactly does a balcony person, a son or perhaps a daughter of encouragement look like? The Greek word for encouragement, in this case, son of encouragement, is parakaleo. Can you all say that? Parakaleo. All right. It has numerous nuances in the scripture. Here are just seven to consider. First, a balcony person sees the grace of God wherever they look because they're looking for it. In Acts eleven twenty three, we read, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. That is, God's goodness being poured out in this world, he was glad. This grace is often invisible to the untrained eye. But balcony people are out there and intentionally and conscientiously and continuously looking for God's presence, for manifestations of his power, of his gifts, of his blessings in other people, in you. God's good stuff. And then a balcony person rejoices because he knows the Lord is at work. Second, a balcony person believes that you can grow, that you can be transformed, that you are not yet who you soon will be, that you can be a fully devoted, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And they focus not on who you are now, but on the potential that you have. They don't hold your past or your ethnicity or your skin color or your failures or your education or lack of it or your political leanings or your economic situation against you. They firmly believe that people can become new creations, that the old things can pass away out of people's lives and that everything can and in Jesus does become new. Barnabas says, look at Saul. God can do that with Saul. God can do that with anyone. Third, a balcony person provides comfort in the midst of the crisis and the storms and the failures. In Luke 16, Jesus tells this parable about a rich man in Lazarus. Lazarus is poor. He is hungry. He is a man who has no food. He has no money, no resources, no hope. His body is covered with sores that the dogs come and lick. 
he dies and he is taken into heaven. And Jesus says in the parable, he is comforted. And the word he uses there is parakaleo. He is encouraged. Regardless of your situation, balcony people offer absolute acceptance, unconditional love. They refuse to give up on you. They refuse to walk away, even during the toughest of times, even if you've messed up. Fourth, a balcony person has a better vision of you as a follower of Jesus than you probably even have of yourself. Because see, they get a big view. They're looking down from the balcony. In Acts 11, verse 23, the word encourage, parakaleo, is sometimes translated as exhort. You see, a balcony person isn't content to allow you to remain an ordinary person when you have the potential to make a significant difference in the kingdom of God. They want you to taste the fullness and the goodness of the God they have experienced. They want you to go farther, fly higher, love deeper, and trust God more. They won't let you get distracted. They won't let you quit. They won't let you settle for mediocrity. They have high expectations for you. And the reality is, because we long to meet their expectations, if we have a Barnabas in our life who sets the bar high, we're willing to shed some blood and have some sweat and cry some tears to fulfill their expectations. This is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I urge, parakaleo, I exhort, I encourage you, view of God's mercy to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service. Fifth, a balcony person lives by the inversion principle. By the inversion principle. Dallas Willard says that balcony people have this biblical principle mastered. The first shall be last. The greatest shall be the least. You'll have to die to self in order to really live. Only those who lose themselves for the sake of the kingdom will really find themselves. This principle means followers of Jesus Christ are to be humble, focused on serving others, and able to set their agenda off to the side. Henry Nouwen describes it as downward mobility. He parallels it with what we read from Paul in Philippians 2 about Jesus Christ. Balcony people are not threatened by another's success. Truth is, they enjoy playing a supportive role in God's kingdom. Sixth, a balcony person believes you are worth their investment. In Acts eleven twenty five, 25, Barnabas actually sets out for Tarsus to get Paul and to bring him back. Now, Tarsus is not just a simple side trip. That's a major excursion. And he finds him. And he brings him back to Antioch. And he invests an entire year in Saul. And they together encourage people. They teach people together. They invest in each other together. 
And Barnabas knows, he senses, he realizes that, that this Saul turned Paul has potential, that God can and God will use him. And so he brings him under his wing. And finally, balcony people, they encourage us to simply, they encourage us simply by the way they live their lives. Their models. You see, they think differently. They think more about others than they think about themselves. Countercultural. They speak differently. They tend to build people up instead of tearing people down. Counterculturally. They live different. They don't live for themselves. They live for Jesus. They live for the kingdom. They live for the church. They live for others. And in doing so, they not only become people of integrity, they live counterculturally. And the truth is they're willing to risk everything. They're willing to give up everything for the sake of Jesus. In Acts 15, we read that Barnabas goes back to Jerusalem to engage in the next round of building bridges among the Gentiles and people that are unlike them. And I'm left to wonder, what would this world be like if there were no balcony people? What would the church be like if there were no balcony people? Barnabas and he doesn't occur as much as Peter or Saul, Paul, or some of the others in the New Testament. But he plays a critical, indispensable, blessed, glorious link in the growth of the early church. That's what balcony people do. And the truth is, that's what the church is called to be. The church desperately needs balcony people, sons and daughters of encouragement to step up and to step out because people can't survive without balcony people in their lives. So the question is, how come every follower of Jesus Christ isn't a person of encouragement like Barnabas? Now there are some would, who would say, Barnabas really... <laughs> Well, he did a rather poor job of career planning. Maybe. I mean, here's a person who does some marvelous things, who obviously has considerable gifts and talents, who has made a huge impact on the church. But he forgot to position himself to get the credit. It's because he's a balcony person. Doesn't matter. Barnabas understood life is more than about just where you stand on the ladder. It's more than about the size of your portfolio. He knew that in climbing the steps toward personal success, the steps seem to get smaller and smaller, and the higher one seems to go on that success ladder, the less meaningful it becomes and the more lonely. But as a balcony person, Barnabas reflects Jesus who came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. For his efforts, Barnabas receives the title of apostle. He receives the title of apostle. 
in Acts 14, 14. He accepts that as a servant leadership title. Barnabas understands it's all about remaining faithful. We noticed in our text that they were also labeled Christians. In verse 26, we read, it was in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now, the church has been persecuted pretty much since the very beginning. I mean, it's simply part of what it means to follow Jesus. But people in Antioch saw Christ in his disciples, and so they labeled them fanatics of Jesus, fanatics of Christ. It was meant to be derogatory, contemptuous, but the disciples took it as a compliment. Understand, these early believers, they're not talking or complaining about their church, their pastor, the worship service, differing theological perspectives, their problems, the persecution they're facing, or even their own personal aches and pains. What they're talking about is Jesus Christ. That's all they're talking about. And so there was nothing else for the, for the Gentiles, for the pagans to call them, but fanatics for Christ. Some years ago, Time Magazine interviewed 20 up-and-coming pastors in the most rapidly growing churches in the United States, the mega churches. It was an extensive interview with each individual pastor about their ministry. And in the article that Time published, only one pastor talked about Jesus, just one. And we wonder why the church in North America is troubled. You and I desperately need to rediscover the centrality of Jesus Christ in our lives and in his church. We need to live up to the name that we have been given, even if it was intended to be derogatory. Churches that never struggle to discern what Jesus is doing amongst them are probably churches to avoid. Because where the spirit is blowing and people are focused on discerning God's will, God is going to surprise us. God is going to introduce new ways of expressing his mission. And we'll have to learn together. And we'll need some Barnabases, lots of them. And God will bless that ministry for his glory. When the church becomes overwhelmingly comprised of Barnabases who are diligently working at being balcony people. We'll grow together spiritually. We'll be blessing one another. We'll find new ways to engage our community for Jesus Christ. We'll be growing the kingdom. Jesus continues to watch us from his balcony at the Father's right hand. You see, Jesus longs for us to embrace the grace of his sacrifice, to be transformed into fully devoted believers, to live into the vision for his church, his vision, and for Georgetown Church. He considers us worth his investment, worth his life, worth his death, worth his constant and abiding presence. As a balcony person, we might be able to count the lives that we've encountered for him, 
But we will never know the lives that we have impacted until we're finally home. Because the truth is, you and I can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count and seize the apples in a seed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to be, as Barnabas was, an encourager. To encourage people to walk with us toward Jesus. That's our hope, that's our prayer, that's our mission. And we accept it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.